Today's reading continues in Galatians on page 1155 and we're going to start at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, here's a photo of... I'll turn this on, that might help. Here we go. Here's a photo of my wife and I on our wedding day. My lovely wife and I on our wedding day. Yeah, there we go. There we are at 23 years old, thinking we're all grown up. Uh, How naive we were, hey? Um, We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year, which I think is worth celebrating. Um, Our wedding day was a great day. We had all our friends and family there. It was raining, but we didn't care. We were just so excited to be finally getting married after dating for almost six years. Um, I remember nervously mumbling through our wedding vows, singing some of our favourite worship songs and heading to the reception for a really great party. Fast forward one year and I'm standing in the kitchen in the aftermath of our first decent fight as a married couple. Uh, I can't even remember what it was about and it's often the way, isn't it? But I do remember feeling hurt and confused. Both of us did. I remember thinking, what just happened here? I thought being married and being in love was was meant to be easy. As I processed our disagreement, I remembered back to the marriage preparation we'd done with our minister before we'd got married. And in this marriage prep, he'd taken us through our wedding vows, the promises we'd make to each other. You know them, 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Now he said that all of these vows are based around the idea of putting the other person first. That's what it meant to have a Christian marriage, to love the other before yourself. He lovingly warned us that there would be tough days ahead and we would have the choice to live out our wedding vows or not. He was saying the promises we make to each other aren't just part of a ceremony or how we were to begin our marriage. It was the way we were to keep going as a married couple every day, seeking the good of the other person, for better or worse. How we started was the way we were to keep going. It's no different in the Christian life. The way we are saved through believing the gospel is the way we are to keep living. Now, what does that mean? Well, when we become Christians, God reveals to us that we're sinners in need of saving. We come to understand that Jesus is the one who saves us by his death on the cross. We realize that we were sinful enough that someone had to die and yet love so much that Jesus was willing to do that for you and for me. And that's the gospel. We understand this for the first time in our minds. It hits our hearts. We trust Jesus and we're converted. We become Christians. And then what? How are we to go on living? You know, some of us have been Christians for years. Some of us here decades. And you might think, well, how does the gospel really affect my day-to-day? Every day. How does it affect how I live? What does it have to do with my struggles at work or my difficult extended family or my incredible lack of patience when I'm stuck in Sydney traffic? Well, what we are exploring today is how the gospel impacts everyday life. The gospel is how we start and how we continue. We never move on from it, much like a married couple should never move on from the promises they make on their wedding day. But how do we do that? Well, we're fortunate that the Bible is not just full of heady theology, it's deeply practical. So today in this passage, we're going to look at two things. Firstly, how does the gospel affect our relationships? And secondly, how do we cultivate the gospel in our daily lives? How do we cultivate this way of living? Let's look at our first point. How does the gospel affect our relationships? Well, throughout this letter to the Galatians, Paul has been addressing really one main problem. The people in the Galatian church are being tempted to believe that they need to do more to be saved than just have faith in Jesus Christ. They've got to do more. So Paul is devastated and writes this letter urging them to ignore these fools preaching false teaching. But what does that, any of that, have to do with our relationships, how we relate to each other? Well, everything. Let's look at our passage for today. We're going to start just one verse earlier than what Justin read. So we're going to look at verse 25. You open your Bibles if you like, or it's going to be up on the screen. Let's read. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now Paul is saying, since we're Christians, who therefore have the Spirit and are trying to live by the Spirit, that is, live out the gospel, therefore, let us not become conceited, provoking or envying each other. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the key to understanding 
how the gospel affects our relationships is in this verse. So we're going to spend a bit of time here. Let's look at this word conceit. Let us not become conceited. Now commentators have translated this to mean a deep insecurity. And that deep insecurity causes us to relate to people in two different ways, provoking them or envying them. Now provoking kind of means to lord it over someone. It implies that we're sure we are better than someone and we want to demonstrate it. And envying, it's a bit more obvious, isn't it, means we'll be jealous of each other's gifts, possessions and achievements. Now, many of you know that for years I was in a Christian rock band and I spent about four years touring around the USA. Now, I have used quite a few band illustrations in the past, so please forgive me for that. I guess Bruce has his fishing stories and food illustrations, doesn't he? And uh, and, uh, Scott seems to have his cycling stories and bald jokes. And and I've got my band stories, so please bear with me. In our first year in the USA, uh, we were invited on two different tours. Now, generally, uh, on these types of tours, there are three bands. The opening band, the support band, and the headliner. And uh, we were just starting out in the USA, so for both of these tours, we were the support band, the first one, the lowest one on the bill. And the first tour was great. I mean, we, we were playing really well, and we thought we were doing way better than the support band, the band above us on the bill. We'd play our set and then watch this other band play and think, yeah, we're doing well. We're we're killing these guys tonight. And so generally on this tour, we felt pretty good because compared to this other band, we thought we were doing really well. Well, a few months later, we started our second tour. Uh, We got done playing our set for the first show and stood up the back to watch this support band we hadn't seen before. And we were floored. They were amazing. Their songs were awesome, they played really well, and the crowd absolutely loved them. Um, I still remember the deafening roar from the crowd when they'd finished their set. Uh, Really, our mouths were kind of open in shock. After the show, everyone wanted to meet them. Our big crowd surrounded them, and there were only sort of a few faithful followers wanting to meet us, and some of them had us confused for the other band, which is, uh, yeah, that's humiliating. So... Ouch. You know, this experience left us feeling really flat. You know, we kind of felt like failures, even though we'd played pretty well that night. You see, in both circumstances, we were gaining our self-worth by comparing ourselves to other bands. We were answering the question, how are we doing, by comparing ourselves to other people. If other bands weren't as good as us, we'd feel great, superior. And if other bands were better than us, we'd feel down and inferior. And this passage we're looking at today is addressing this issue of comparing ourselves with each other. And the more I think about it and the more I I chat with friends and other people, I, I can see just how much it affects our lives and how difficult it is to address. I wonder if any of you can maybe relate to this, you know, how easy it might be to compare ourselves with each other. Mums, how easy is it to fall into this? She seems to have it all together. Her kids look perfect. They eat everything, never have tantrums in public, not my kids. And, um, and they seem to, you know, to sleep 15 hours a night. I just feel like 
my life's out of control. Or parents with older kids, wow, they seem to have such a great relationship with their children. doesn't seem like they have massive fights at home. Or we go to someone's house and think, wow, I'm glad I don't live here. Or goodness, I wish I could afford to live here. I mean, it affects us all, doesn't it? Women, the issue of body image can be all-encompassing, can't it? Comparing yourselves with each other. Even our marital status causes us to compare. I'm still single. I wish I had somebody. Or their marriage seems to be so great. You know, he treats her so well. And men, what about us? You know, we size each other up within a few minutes of meeting each other, don't we? Nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? And instantly, we've kind of set ourselves against them, haven't we? If they're a CEO or some high flyer, we might feel inferior. But if they're, I don't know, a a church minister, we'll instantly feel superior, won't we? (laughs) Or it might be, man, he's in really good shape. Or Scott's personal confession, man, he has such a great head of hair. (laughs) And speaking of ministers, we're, we're no different from anyone else, let me assure you. You know, we we may visit another church or speak to others in ministry and we'll have the same temptations to feel inferior or superior. And it can be because of, you know, how, how good somebody's church building is to how much the congregation gives financially to how many people show up on a Sunday to how well someone else preaches. And I think most of us tend to feel a combination of inferior and superior feelings just depending on who we relate to, right? This really affects our relationships, doesn't it? Well, how do we stop living like this? Well, Paul here is making a bold claim. He says, unless we live by the Spirit, this way of living, you know, constantly comparing with each other, is inevitable. We'll never get off this emotional roller coaster of comparison unless we apply the gospel to our deep insecurity. See, our deep insecurity says, I'm better than you and I'll prove it, or you're better than me and I resent it. But the gospel says that you don't need to prove yourself. The gospel says you don't have to feel jealous or resentful. You don't have to seek the answer to the questions, who am I and how do I measure up in anyone else? You don't need their answers. Why? Because you have your answer. Your identity is known. If you're a Christian, then you're a child of God. You are completely accepted, fully known, and incredibly and deeply loved. That's who you are. Now, the gospel should humble us. Yes, you're a sinner, and and Christ had to die in your place to bring you back to God. But the gospel also lifts us up. Look how loved you are. Jesus was willing to do that for you and for me. And only by addressing this deep insecurity with the truth of who we really are in Christ will free us to have great relationships. And Paul gives us some examples. In chapter 6, verse 1, he gives us an example of a fellow believer who's caught in a sin. Now, how do we deal with a fellow brother or sister who's been overcome with sin? 
Well, if we feel superior to them, we'll be quick to judge and condemn, won't we? But if we feel inferior to them, we might crave their approval and may even envy their lifestyle and just be too cowardly to confront them. But if we're living by the Spirit, that is, trying to apply the gospel to how we relate, our relationships, we'll want to lovingly challenge them and gently restore them. Now, I love this, that the Greek word here for restore means to set a dislocated bone back into place. It, it will hurt, but ultimately it seeks the good, the best for the person involved. Now, Paul gives us another example here in verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what does he mean by carry each other's burdens? Well, before we answer that, I just love it how Paul's implying that we all have burdens. It's just assumed. It's not just the needy ones or the seemingly weak ones amongst us. We all have burdens. And God doesn't mean for us to carry them on our own. You know, some of us try to carry our own burdens, don't we? Which seems brave, but it's more stoical than Christian and some of us just, we just won't want to worry others with our troubles, will we? And uh, troubles of our lives. You know, we'll just sort of cast our burdens and our cares on the Lord, which is good and biblical. But one of the ways Christ lifts our burdens is to provide Christian friends and community. I mean, look around this morning. We can be an enormous blessing to each other. Now think about someone carrying something really heavy on their shoulders, really weighing them down, right? Think about that. How will you be able to, to help them? Do you think you'd be able to help them you know, from a distance? Of course not, no. You must get close to them. You must stand next to them and offer to take some of their weight, which means you've got to get involved in their lives, Luther said Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones. He's right. And if anyone here has been through a hard time, then they'll know the impact a home-cooked meal dropped off at your back door can have or someone offering to take your kids for a while or people just offering to clean out and paint your house or people just offering to be there for you when you're lonely or when you're down just offering to be there and cry with you, crying with our friends. You know, this is Christian community. This is what we get to be a part of here at St. Matt's. We talk about being that church. That's what it means. We get to be here for each other. Now, I've been so encouraged seeing so much of this going on in our community. I mean, our faith is extremely practical. You don't have a place to stay, you're staying with us. You don't have a job, give these guys a call on Monday and we'll sort you out. You guys are struggling with this stuff at home, let me pray for you right now. See, this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about you know, fulfilling the law of Christ, which means to love your neighbor. So carrying each other's burdens and loving our neighbor, they're the same thing. They're interchangeable statements. You can't have one without the other. And if we don't want to be a part of this, Paul seems to be implying that we might think all of this is 
kind of beneath us. But we won't feel that way if we apply the gospel to our lives. We'll think, okay, here's a person in need in front of me. The situation they're in, it's not just because they've been foolish and they've made bad decisions. At that point, I need to be reminded that I once had a burden that was impossible for me to carry. My sin separated me from God and I could do nothing about removing it. But Jesus didn't judge me by my past bad choices and there have been many. He lifted my burden. You see, applying the good news of the gospel will lead us to want to carry each other's burdens. So, how does the gospel affect our relationships? It gives us freedom. We won't compare ourselves to each other because our self-worth doesn't come from each other, but from our identity in Christ, knowing that we are completely accepted and fully loved. Okay, let's move to our second point. Now, don't worry, uh, I've spent much more time on our first point. Second point's going to be much briefer. So, second point, how do we cultivate this gospel in our daily lives? How do we cultivate this way of living? Well, we must sow to the Spirit instead of the sinful nature in order to reap gospel fruit. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at a few more verses in our passage. Let's read from verse 7. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, that is, the part of us that wants the opposite of what God wants for our lives, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, Paul is being very practical in this this section yet again, and there are two things to quickly point out. Firstly, whatever you sow, you will reap. I'm no farmer, I'm a city boy, but I can understand that if you plant a seed of corn, you will not get tomatoes. Okay, and secondly, whatever you plant, it will come up, even if it takes a while. Okay, picture yourself walking down a path in between two fields. One on your left and the other on your right. Paul is saying, one of these fields represents your sinful nature. And the other one represents living by the Spirit. You and I, we have a choice where we sow the seed. We have an active role in cultivating the gospel in our daily lives. Our faith is not passive. It is active. So if we throw the seed into the sinful nature, we mustn't expect to get good things out of it. We also must expect that when we sow into the sinful nature it will come back to us. Now, God's not vengeful, just kind of waiting for us to make mistakes and sow into the sinful nature, make bad decisions, and then jump on us. It's not like that. But there is a logic to how our lives work. We just can't get away from that. Now, does sowing to the sinful nature change our standing with God? Of course not. But does it matter? You bet it does. If you sow lies into your marriage, you will reap mistrust in your relationship, maybe even a broken relationship. If you sow overwhelming expectation into your children, you will reap insecure kids that may resent you. 
if you sow unreliability at work, you'll be known as that person who just can't be depended upon. We sow into the sinful nature and we're warned that even if we don't see the terrible effects of it now, we will one day. But on the other hand, we need to take heart for there is a great harvest for those who live by the Spirit. And we have a choice to do this every single day, to cultivate the gospel in our daily lives. If we don't sow to the sinful nature, it will not grow, right? We can starve our sinful nature by our decisions, by how we act. But Paul realizes it's not easy and we can lose heart because sometimes there's a time lapse. You know, God's timing, it's not always our timing, is it? You might think, well, I am reading God's word. You know, I am coming to church, trying to meet other believers, trying to serve God's people. I feel like I am praying to God, walking with him every day. We may be sowing into the spirit by working really hard on our marriages or spending time on difficult friendships or on some people we're trying to mentor or even working on our own character flaws. We might just feel like we're not seeing results. We must not give up because what you sow, what you plant, it will come up. It will come up. What we do matters. I mean, you think, you think Paul didn't become weary? I mean, the Galatian church, they, they started out so well. They were doing great. They believed the gospel. They heard his preaching. They were converted. Paul leaves them, and then he gets news that they're believing rubbish, false teaching about they've got to do more than just have faith in Christ. How did he have the motivation to go on? How do we? How do we have the motivation and the strength to continue Well, Paul says in verses 14 and 15 that all that matters is this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, crucified in my place so that I could have life, so that I could be a new creation. That needs to be our reflection when we grow weary, and we will. The gospel affects our relationships. It affects our motivation, our decisions. Let's be encouraged to apply the gospel to how we relate to each other. Let our identity as children of God free us to love each other as Christ loved us. And let's be challenged to remember we play an active role in cultivating this every day in our lives. It's not easy. But God hasn't left us alone, has he? He's given us his spirit to journey with us And we look to him for our strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that we need you every hour of every day. Help us to remember that the gospel is not just how we start. It's how we continue to live. Help us apply it to how we relate to each other, not feeling superior or inferior but looking to who we are, to you. You fulfill us, you sustain us. May we be satisfied in knowing that we are your child.
completely and fully loved. God, help us to cultivate this way of living every day. But we admit it's not easy and we need your help. And we look to you for our help. Amen. Amen.